Glad you all are here tonight. It's good to be together. We have a good crowd tonight, considering everything and the situation we're in these days. Have folks in small groups as well. And uh, our Wednesdays, as some of you know, I continue on with our Zoom class on Wednesdays. A lot of folks are in that, but also Darren Cathy is teaching a class here at the building. And uh, also this week, we'll start back with WOW, Worship on Wednesday, that'll happen here. Rob Merchant's leading that. And so there are a lot of good things that are happening. And tonight, we're talking about, continuing to talk about Nehemiah and ancient leadership lessons for today. You know, the thing about these simple lessons of leadership is that they are time-proven. They go on and on, and they're always good. And as we try to remember each week, this is not just for elders. It's not just for CEOs or CFOs or CIOs or the CIA. This is for everybody. This is for everybody that is a leader, whether you are a leader in your family or a leader with your grandchildren or a leader in the neighborhood, whatever it is, these principles apply, especially if you are a Christian and a godly person, this should apply. So we remember back with Nehemiah that Jerusalem had been destroyed. God's people had been taken into, been taken into captivity. They were away from home. Nehemiah is upset about it. Nehemiah is the man who comes basically, he's the taste tester for the king. And the king tells him he can go back to Jerusalem. So Nehemiah returned to rebuild that city, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the houses there. And what a chore it must have been. Can you imagine what it would be like to go into a city that is just ruins and start over again? I remember when I was a little boy, a really little boy, we lived in this little town called Cheyenne, Oklahoma. Not Wyoming, but Oklahoma. And there was a house there that a family had been building apparently 20 or 30 years before, and they had died in an airplane crash, and the house just stood there. And I can remember going by, I would always ask my parents if we could go walk around it to see what it was like. And I can still remember, even as a four-year-old and five-year-old, walking around that house, like you can't do that probably in a city, but you can in a little tiny town, to just try to see and imagine what was to be there. Well, eventually, maybe 20 years ago, someone bought that piece of property and built the rest of the house. To go back into ruins. Now imagine it is not just a house. It is not just a neighborhood. It is an entire city that once was something great that now is in shambles. And Nehemiah says, I can go back with help. And he got the help he needed. And obviously God is the chief help. But he said, I can get the help I need. And we can rebuild that city to be what it's supposed to be. But tonight, as we look at these different scriptures, the first thing I want you to see when you think about being a good leader is that good leaders examine the facts before making decisions. Have you ever made decisions before you had examined the facts? You know what I'm talking about? I can remember one time, and it's a long story, but I got a spanking back when they used to do that in school from the principal. Oh, I hate to even say it happened, but it happened. And afterwards, you know what he said? He said, David, I'm sorry I gave it to you. I was, I was too quick. I should have given the other guy the spanking. I was like, yeah, tell me now. Sometimes we act a little bit too quickly. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, you will see a leader who acted just at the right time. 
Nehemiah says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were, there were no uh, mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went, and he keeps talking about each place he goes. Now, first of all, I want us to take this from just being something that's stuck in our Bibles to understanding the emotion that Nehemiah must have had that night. This is his home. This is where he grew up. This is the place he knows. And it's in shambles. Imagine if we were to come back here in five years or 10 years or 20 years and war had taken place here in Houston and we started walking through this building and we saw broken windows and we saw maybe this podium that had been pushed over and maybe graffiti on the walls how we would feel, the emotion that would be there. And you say, it's just a building. Well, it's just a building, but it's also home, right? It hurt. And so Nehemiah is there in his home city, and it's all destroyed. The way it must be for people who live in war-torn countries, I think especially of places like Syria or Iraq and other places in the Middle East that has had, had wars now for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And what it must feel like. But before he decides what to do, before he sends a crew one way or the other, he goes and examines what's there to say, we need crews here, we need crews there, wherever it is. He examines the facts first. But I also want you to see that good leaders communicate and they acknowledge God. You can't keep it all to yourself and you can't assume that it's all yours. So in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or to the priests or to the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on, on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So at first, as he's going over, nobody really knows what he's doing. They don't really maybe even know exactly why they're there. And then he says, this is what we're doing. He said, do you see what's happened? Do you see the pathetic state of Jerusalem? And so he doesn't keep the idea to himself. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to go rebuild the walls and I'm going to do it all by myself. That would be silly, wouldn't it? To think that he would be able to lift the heavy rocks, to mix the mortar and put it all together. That would, that would be ridiculous. He's not going to get anywhere. And to imagine one man trying to build the walls around an entire city, that is just flat silly. But sometimes leaders act like that. Sometimes leaders don't tell anybody else. And they carry a burden all themselves that was intended to be shared. And so that's exactly what Nehemiah is going to do. He goes and rallies the troops. He says, look at our city. Look how awful it is. We've got to do something about this. And so the people say, yes, 
But he doesn't just say, we're going to do this because it's a good idea. He says, we're going to do this because the hand of God is on me. God is a part of what is happening in all of this. This is more than just saying, boy, I've been lucky in life. This is more than just saying, I'm so glad that I had such, such a good education. This isn't saying, you know, I've always just been one of those people that just really had just a good sense of what to do. No, this is a man who is a leader, a God's leader, who is recognizing God and says, we can do this. He's rallying the troops before what it will take to put Jerusalem back together. But if he's going to put it back together, there are always some people that aren't going to like what you're doing. Good leaders expect ridicule because it's always going to come. No matter what you do, there will be some people that don't like what you do, right? And so even if 99 out of 100 people like what you do, that one voice can still be really loud, right? And that one voice is sometimes the voice you remember in your head because the other 99 didn't say much. But that one talked a lot. Good leaders say before they even make a decision, hey, there will be some people disagree. We expect ridicule. And so we expect ridicule or negativity or whatever you might want to put. Maybe there's a better word than that. But they expect that. And sure enough, it happened in Nehemiah chapter 2 in verses 19 and 20. We come back to these two men that we saw a week or two ago. Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. They were the official and Geshem the Arab, another one, heard about it. And they mocked and they ridiculed us. What is it you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So do you see what they're saying, what, what Sanballat and Tobiah say here? Are you against the king? Are you against the government are you against your ruler are you against all these people that are important are you the rebel he says i'm not the rebel i'm not the crazy man i'm the devoted man i'm the one doing what god said to do i'm rebuilding the city of god i'm putting god's people back in their city you see what he's doing he said it's not me but but ridicule was going to come it's always going to come whatever you decide whatever you do it's always going to be there good leaders face opposition with vocal faith in god now notice how i put that word there vocal faith in god there is a difference in just believing in my heart and actually getting the words out of my mouth. It's a lot harder to say it than it is to think it. But a leader is a person that stands up and says, by the grace of God, because of God, because of God's word, or whatever you want to say here, we will go forward. We will do what God has called us to do. Now, good leaders also work, and they give appropriate credit. 
We're going to see that in just a minute. Good leaders work, and they give credit for that work. So you think about sometimes the way some lead, and, and, and some lead, maybe we would say kind of they're lounge chair leaders, right? They sit back in the chair, and they put their feet up, and tell everybody else what to do, and the decisions don't necessarily impact them. You look at Nehemiah, he's building the walls himself. He works right alongside them. Now, obviously, he can't put as many stones or bricks up on the walls because he's checking on folks in each of the, each of the, the places where they are, but he works right alongside. It's not, hey, you guys go do that over there. But a leader is one that works alongside the people. A leader is one that says, oh, my hands are just as dirty as your hands are if you want to look, but I don't need to show you. I don't need to do that. But if you look, you'll see they're dirty like yours are dirty. I'm not just telling you what to do. I'm doing it along with you. So I want you to see how he gave credit, and this is just a sample of the credit he gave. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. There are a lot of hard words in here, and I thought we might get lost in all of it, so I just kind of put three different little, little sections. First of all, Nehemiah 3.1, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it, and they set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. Do you see what Nehemiah is doing? He's saying exactly who did the work. Then Nehemiah 3.3, Eliashib, the high priest. Hey, I just said the same one twice. Hey, well, 3.3 says something different, okay? Yeah, well, you know, I'll just let it go. Because <laughs> you're going, I get the point. Nehemiah 3.8, Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs to the one next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now, I want you to see something interesting about these men who are building the wall, especially in this last verse, verse 8. A goldsmith is building a wall. He's not building the wall out of gold. Do you understand? Then you have Hananiah, a perfume maker, building the wall. Hananiah is, does not build the wall out of perfume, right? If he did, that would have been the best place to stand. You know, you'd want to go through that gate and smell really, really good, right? Sometimes we can't just say, well, you know, that's not my gift, so I'll let somebody else do it. Sometimes you just got to go and help, even if it's not your gift. You may not be the one to take charge of that project, but you are one to work on that project, right? So what he does here is he gives credit to people who were doing the work. Nehemiah is not saying, boy, I am so glad that God gave me the opportunity to do all of this. Instead, what he's saying is, hey, I'm over this project, but I want you to know everybody else. This is just a few verses. This is what that whole chapter of chapter 3 is. It's people who worked and naming names of people that we will never meet or ever hear about again. And so it's interesting that Danny is here tonight, and some of you don't know Danny or remember Danny. Whenever we went through Harvey and after Harvey, some of you remember the congregation just pulled together and great things happened. And from around the country, money came in. About a million dollars came in to help folks who were in need. Many of our members were helped. People we didn't know were helped. And all kinds of work happened. We also had folks who came from other places. And, and Danny and Gail are from Georgia. 
And Danny came and lived in our, in our luxurious family center for a few months. <laughs> so, I mean, it was wonderful. We found him an air mattress. I mean, it was great. But lived there to help people he had never met before. And today, he followed up on some of those people that aren't members here, but to check in on them. Last week, we had a little blurb about people who helped after the freeze, like David Castillo, Castillo and Bert Leach and, and Ashley, who's here, was one of those people, and there were so many others who said, let me go help. I'm not a plumber, but I can carry the old pieces of sheetrock out of your house. I can help. You see, that's what it's about, about giving credit, acknowledging God, and working together. It's about everybody being a family and being a team and then giving credit to God and giving credit to other people. Leaders don't take all the credit. Leaders share the credit. And then finally tonight, my question. How can I be a better leader? Once again, this is not just about people who are elders or deacons or whatever else we want to say. It is how can I be a better leader in my house? How can I be a better leader at work? How can I be a better leader in whatever that is, whatever I'm doing in the name of Jesus? How can I do that? For some of us, it would literally be one of the best ways we could be a leader is to be baptized into Jesus and be that kind of example. It would teach our children, besides what it would bring for us of, of, of salvation and, and the gift of the Holy Spirit and being in the kingdom and those things, it would help our kids to see that kind of leader. Share the story I'm about to share with you on a Sunday morning a long time ago. Some of you may remember it, but I realize that David tells a lot of stories. So, When I was a little boy, little town we lived in, Canadian, Texas, my dad was a preacher. And those that were in the days, I remember he would say, I'm disappointed if we don't have a response. Every single Sunday, one or ten were on the front row. We had baptisms. I mean, there were people coming in asking for prayers. I mean, they, they were happening days, so to speak. And I remember I was probably about 10 years old, and I, I can still remember. I was in my, in my room. I was getting ready to go to bed. My mom came in and told me good night. And as she was walking away, I said, can you tell me something? She said, sure. I said, why don't you two ever go forward? She was like, what? I said, well, everybody else goes forward, but y'all never, why? I said, does that mean you haven't had your sins forgiven, or does that mean you don't sin? You know, what is it? What? I don't understand. Now, we understand you don't have to come forward to the front row to be have your sins forgiven. We, we understand that. But this is a little boy mind working, right? Well, she said, I don't know. And she walked out of the room without much of an answer, and I kind of forgot all about it. And the next Sunday morning, I looked, and my mother was on the front row. And my dad took her response, because he's the preacher. And he says, Avis Duncan has come forward this morning saying that she uh, needs prayer. She needs God. She's sorry for, any, for whatever she's done wrong. And he said, and I do too. He said, I've sinned. I've done wrong. 
I need prayer. Well, they didn't have to go in the front row and do that. But I don't want to tell you how many years later it is. It's 45 years later. I remember it like yesterday. They were leading me. There are ways to lead that are so simple. I don't even know if we talked about it when we got home. But I will never forget it. How can I be a better leader? That's what I want to be. I want to be someone that I don't, I don't need credit. What I need is just to share. And I want to share with the world about Jesus. I want my daughters to know that. I want others to know that. Not so they puff me up, but so that they will lead other people. Come tonight as we stand and sing.